Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be together this morning. We're thankful, Father, for the, for the watch and the care that you have over us. We're thankful, Father, for the relationship we have because of your son. We're grateful, Father, that, uh, that you love us unconditionally. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to, to work for you and to be obedient. And we especially thank you, Father, for this morning, for the opportunity we have to gather together as your children and to, uh, to honor and glorify you and to learn about you. Bless us, Father, as we move forward. Bless us as we learn these things and help us, Father, to make application of these things in our own lives. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity. Bless us, encourage us, help us as we encourage each other. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First Amen. Peter chapter chapter two. Uh, we ended last week with Barbie. That's right, Barbie, right? Had had a, a a thing we were dealing with, and I said we're going to pay pillar. We're going to deal with this this week. Barbie, you remember what that was that we talked that you were that you talked about? We 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 were. Basically, it was that the Israelites and all this stuff that's going on, they don't have a clue. It's not making any sense to them. Is that kind of, you know, all the temple stuff and all of that stuff, isn't that what you were kind of, where we were kind of going with that? No, that doesn't make sense to us. It doesn't make sense it, to it us? Well, because we didn't live in that, they did. Okay. So, okay. so they could easily relate their body as the temple. Okay. That mm -hmm. They held the temple in such... Um, the, the problem was, is they didn't connect with it. That's the problem. If they had, they wouldn't have put him on a cross. There were some that did. Once once the Holy Spirit came, once they, they started getting the understanding of it, then they started to understand more, especially the, those who were following him. In our culture today, most people today, they don't care. They don't care. They really don't. Now, when it comes to Christian folks, you're right. They don't have a clue. And they don't have a clue because they don't know the book. If they would study the book and know what the book says, then they would start to make sense. And that's what we're trying to do here. I'm trying to, to very very patiently, very very slowly go through it so we can understand what it is. You know, you guys know, we studied the book of Hebrews. How long we studied the book of Hebrews? Three years? We are in the book of Hebrews for three years. Man, we went verse. Sometimes we were going line by line. It wasn't just verse by verse. Sometimes we were on a verse for two weeks. We'd be on one verse. You know, because I feel that it was that important. If you understand, if you start to read the book of Hebrews, some of this starts to make sense to us. But it really doesn't to, to mainstream Christianity because they don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. Their religion, and I made this comment to my Friday night class, most people, okay, most people use the book to prove their doctrine. That's what they do. They don't use the book to create a doctrine. They use it to prove their doctrine. Now, you can make the book prove whatever you want it to if you twist it around enough. If you go around this corner, around that corner, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Doesn't mean it's true. But to take the book and use the book to establish your doctrine is something completely different. And most people don't want to do that. I've been to a lot of churches, a lot of different kinds of churches before I became a Christian. And I and I, I think back now and I think of all these places and that's exactly what they do. They had a whole hierarchy and a whole thing a whole system that they had taken the book and started to use the book to prove what they wanted to believe, what they wanted to say. That's wrong. And that's why they don't understand. That's why people today don't understand. You start talking about people, about Jesus being a high priest, they don't have a clue what that means to begin with, and they don't have a clue because they don't know the book. And then saying that we're a priesthood, they don't understand that at all either. And so 
you know, what we have to do is we have to study the book. I, I can tell you, 1 Kings chapter 8, we're not going to turn over there, 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon is dedicating the temple, okay? Remember, they had lived in a tent. They had worshipped in a tent called the tabernacle. That's what they worshipped in. That for all their history, that's what they worshipped in. David wanted to build God a house. He wanted to build it. God said no. You remember why he said no? Because you, you kill people. you got blood on your hands. No. So Solomon came and he said, I'm going to let your son do this. And so as, as they're building this temple, and Solomon's got this temple built, and he's dedicating the temple in, Acts, in 1 Kings chapter 8, one verse he says, he's praying to God, and he says, can God, the God of the universe, really live here in this place? So they, they even thought, this is beyond him. He's going to come and live in this place? And, but yet, when he fills that place, they're scared to death, terrified, because they see the presence of God come into the temple and fill the temple. And they, then they know that God has showed up. Okay, Their ancestors knew it because they watched him in a pillar of cloud, a pillar of fire. Yet it still didn't keep them from doing the things they did, some of the, some of the atrocities that they did. They did them anyway, even though they did know. People today can know the book. They can know what it means, and they can look at it and say, oh, I understand this and not really understand it, and then do some of the most ungodly stuff that, that, can, that can imagine. So what we're trying to do in here is I'm trying to educate you enough to where when you look at this stuff, you say, I know what that means. I know what that means. You know, And then you can take it and tell somebody else. When they start talking about something, you say, wait a minute. You know, Wait a minute. That's not what the book says. It says this. And you know you're right. And no, it does say that. So, you know, and I know that you've had those experiences, you've had those opportunities, and you're sitting there and you're going, I don't have a clue what to say. I don't know what to tell them. Because you don't, you're not really versed enough. You know, my job is to try to get you versed enough. You know, that's what Vic was doing Wednesday night. You know, systematically going through those things. He did a masterful job. What he did, I don't have to do. I was going to do some of that, and I don't have to do it. because I can just teach what I need to teach on, on, on my subject. I don't have to do... What, uh, what he did, but, you know, if you weren't here, you know, he took the fruits of the Spirit and just lumped them together and, and did a masterful job with it. So, anyway, we're going to be in chapter 2, and I'm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start in verse 8. We should have got there. I don't know why we didn't. I got a, I got a question for you, uh, but let me read this verse first, and then we, really I want to get into verse 9. All right. It says, let's start in verse 7. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall, they stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Okay? You have a problem with any of this? Are we going to move on? You have a problem with any of that? That word stumble in the, in the Greek means a stumbling block. Let me ask you a question. How, has, has, how have you seen Jesus become a stumbling block in your life. Something that you've had to go around him because he got in the way. I want to do this, but i got to go around Jesus, and he became a stumbling block. Okay? It kept you from doing it. Do what? It kept you from doing it. Or kept you from doing it. See, you're on the other side. You're what we're going to talk about in verse 9. In verse 8, he said, he said they stumble. Look at what he says again in verse 8. At the end of, they stumble because they, they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. What does it mean? That God chose people to be to fall? Is that what he said? Is that what you think he's saying? They don't believe. Okay? He said, you, if you do not believe, you are going to fall. That's what you're destined for. If you choose not to believe, then you're going to fall. That's what that's what he's telling us. You know, and you know, I mean, I we can look at yes, sir. Uh yesterday 
he took the kids to the children's museum, mm -hmm. and there's like a, a little transition between one of the rooms to the other. And I don't care how many times I've tried to go from one room to the other, I always stumble into the next one because I, I hit that transition. And so if you think about Jesus from that point, it's a it's a reminder. Okay. All like right. It's a, you're going your normal daily, your normal walk, and then, ah, yeah, there's a, there's a block there. Okay. That could be a, a way how, to look how, how has How has uh, Jesus been a stumble that you've seen or some a, a, a stone that somebody stumbled over in your life or there's something that you've seen? Have you seen that? Well, it's no different today than it was then. Okay. People don't want to recognize that cornerstone. Yes. They want to ignore that. And, and because of that, or they, they want to deny it, that's, that's not true. It's easier, just like they did then, to deny him than it is to try to deal with him. Okay. And what, what change that's going to bring. We yeah. all know people that claim to be Christians. They think once saved, always saved. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they get a little sidetracked. Okay. It doesn't take much for Satan to put something blocking your path that you're going to fit the little further left. Jesus, Jesus uh, becomes a stumbling block, I think, for, for many of us when he starts to teach things that we really don't want to do. Yeah. Okay? And I've got to make a decision. What am I going to do? One of the decisions we make is I'm just going to close the book. I'm not going to listen to him. Anymore. I just want to listen to him. And if I don't listen to him and I don't know what he said, you know, I'm, I'll just I'll be oblivious because I, I just don't I haven't heard it. You know, that's not an excuse. That's not going to wash come judgment day. So you know, I'm looking at it and saying, you know, when when he tells me to do something or I read it in the scriptures that there's something to do that I don't really want to do. You know, that I don't really I don't really think I need to do in my life. It becomes a stumbling block when. When I, did, I may have to make the decision, I'm going to be disobedient. I'm not going to do what he tells me to do. Which, therefore, it's almost a consequence. That stumbling block is a consequence. Yes, yes. It absolutely is. Uh, I think for, I think for uh, in that day, they stumbled over Jesus because he wasn't what they expected. There you go. They had certain expectations of what the Messiah was going to be like. And... He didn't fit their expectations. Has that changed today? No, I think that people still have that. I think people, I think that's exactly what Barbie said. People don't understand. They don't have a clue. They don't understand this stuff. Many of them, they don't want to understand. They don't want to know. They're fine. There are a lot of people that are in a church today, someplace. They're in a building somewhere, worshiping God, and they're completely content. Everything's fine. Y'all know that's true, don't you? You know that's true. Just because someone goes to church on Sunday does not make them a follower, a disciple of Christ. Y'all understand that? There is a, there, you know, let's just go to, let's just go to what he said. He says, you want to be my disciple, you got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he says. If you don't want to do that, then you, he just became a stumbling block in your life and you had to choose whether to be obedient or disobedient. And if you chose to be disobedient, he said, that's what you were destined for. That you're going to fall because you were destined to do that if you were disobedient. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. My biggest stumbling block is trying um, to not be a sinner when I already know that I'm a sinner. Mm -hmm. And that's people, some people I've met, they they want to not be a sinner before they, they put themselves in that 
Okay. Okay. And I'm like, you're you're always going to be a sinner. There's always going to be something you're going to do. Okay. You're going to go over the speed limit. You're going to. What do you you know? And then you're, what What do you mean, Lord? You're yep. breaking the laws, the law of the land. Uh, I'm going to read this text, and then we're going to move on to verse nine. All right. Y'all understand because this is one this is one dynamic of a group of people. We're going to look at the next group because there there's two groups here. People here he's talking about. He said. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. And that's from the book of Isaiah. Okay? You know, he promised them this was going to happen. Seven, eight hundred years before Jesus ever comes on the scene, he's already promised them what's going to happen. That's when Isaiah wrote. He wrote that at, during the time of Hezekiah, and he was writing, he said, guys, this is what's going to happen. I'm the one you should be afraid of. I'm the one you should dread. But I'm telling you, this is what's going to happen. Now, I'm going to come, and I'm going to be a stumbling block, and you're going to stumble, and I'm going to be a snare to you because you don't want to listen to what I have to tell you. Please don't fall into that trap today that I'm going to be the one, that I'm going to not listen to what he tells me, and I'm going to be the one that's going to fall and stumble. No matter how good you think you are, no matter how good you think you're doing, no matter how good you, you plan on being at some point, you are going to stumble and fall when you decide not to listen to what he tells you to do. Okay? Now, let's go on. Look at verse 9. But you, all right? But you, not talking, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, Okay? Let's look at some of these. What does it mean to you? Remember I told you this is a survival manual for when you get into spiritual and, and, and Christian-like, when you get into a conflict, when something's going amiss in your life spiritually, when something's going amiss in your, in your life physically and it's causing a spiritual conflict in your life, this is a great survival manual. Go back and let Jesus tell you again what he's trying to tell you. Let God tell you again, this is who you are. Don't forget that you have been blessed with a living hope. Don't be forget that you've been born again. Don't forget that you are not one that stumbled over Christ in the in, in the beginning. You know, and then he says, but you are a chosen people. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you that you're a chosen people? We're in covenant with God. We're in covenant with God. Okay? What Dale talked about a couple weeks ago, remember? In covenant with God. What else? What does it mean to you? How many of you remember elementary school? Yeah, I, do. <laughs> do I remember it vividly. I remember one event vividly. I remember where we were at. I remember where I was at. And I remember how devastating it was to be that, that, that moment in time. Okay? I was at Highland Hills Elementary School in San Antonio, Texas. I was in the... I was in the uh, fifth grade. I, I, I believe I was in the fifth grade. And we had recess, and recess was about a half an hour long, and all the guys always got together and played baseball. And we had a little thing out there in the playground, and we played baseball out there. And uh, and they started picking teams. And guess who didn't get picked? I wasn't an athlete. You know, I didn't, I, I didn't bring anything to the table. I get, I get picked. And then finally at the end, they, I was the last one, and they had to pick. Devastating. Devastating. Felt like, you know, my life couldn't have gotten any worse. 
Okay? But man, I want to play baseball so bad. I want to be good at it. And they all knew that. So I played CYO bat baseball. Okay? Catholic youth organization. Played baseball. I got into one game. One. And uh, and they put it in when when the game was always out of reach. Didn't matter. And I remember this guy is about six foot five throwing bullets at me, man. <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> I hit a foul ball and walked and stole the base. And I said, heck with y'all. I'm done. I don't need your approval to feel value of myself. But I didn't get chosen. That, did that sound familiar? Yes. Sound familiar in your life? It makes a big impact when somebody is, sees you good enough to choose you. I want you. I want to, I want to, I want to be... You know, that my wife chose to be to be my wife, you know, doesn't get no better than that for me. At the time, it didn't get no better than that. You know, my sons were great, but they weren't they didn't choose to be born to us. Okay? They didn't have any choice in the matter. My wife did. You know, five years in, six years in, my wife had the distinct choice to say, you know what? You're a jerk, and I'm done with you. She could have easily done that, and she didn't. And so I value that because she chose me. But nothing I value more than God telling me, but you are a chosen one. I, be, I get to be a part of the chosen people. All right? God chose me. Not that he predestined me, but he chose the church before the foundation of the earth is set. Chose us. I get to be a part of that unique group. I'm going to tell you something, guys. I've told many of you before, some of you haven't heard this. You get to be a part of the greatest institution this world's ever seen. You get to be a part of an institution that will never, ever go away. Ever. Kingdoms are going to come and go. Countries are going to come and go. This country at some point is going to go away at some point. I don't know when that is. I'm just telling you that's what happens. The Roman Empire, everybody thought was so great, it went away. But this kingdom will never fall. It is eternal. And I get to be a part of that. And I look in the mirror and say, I can't play baseball. I ain't good at anything. And God says, oh yes you are. You're good at being my son. And I'll make you into what I need you to be. Yeah, but you are a chosen people. I get to be a part of that. It ought to affect everything we do when we go worship, shouldn't it? Not looking to see what somebody's doing or not doing, or whether you know. I, I had somebody come to me one time and say, "We gotta do something. We gotta do something. What, what's wrong? That person didn't take me in." What? How did you have time to pay attention? <laughs> Weren't you busy? Yes, ma'am. Israelites were the chosen uh, race then too. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. And Absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I wrote a I wrote a thing down here. Uh, uh, let me see. Where did I write it down? At? Oh, here it is. Nothing should diminish the obligation of Christians to be what their title implies. Okay. Nothing should diminish your obligation of what that title implies. They, did, they didn't look at their title as God's people. 
People out in the world did. Remember Rahab? Rahab said, we are trembling in fear over you. We've heard about you. But they didn't. Three months in, what are they doing? Building a God for themselves because Moses says, out of pocket. They don't trust God. You know, we've got to learn from them because you're right. You know, they had a distinct opportunity. And many of them, he told them over and over, if they're going to fall and they fell. They didn't. They stumbled over the truth. Okay? So we had that opportunity to be a, to be on the other side. Am I going to do that? Am I going to look at this world and say, you know what? I have I have a chosen spot in this chosen people. And it was a choice you could make. The Israelites, they were born in Jesus. And we have a choice. Yep. He said he called us through the gospel. What it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Called me through the gospel. So when the when the the whole thing about Jesus comes along, the death, burial, and resurrection, and all that came before and all that comes after. When all that calls to me, I make the choice one way or the other. I can either make the choice to let, let it make me fall over this rock, or I make the choice to say, I, I'm, I'm here. Do with me what you want. You know, and, and I get to be part of the chosen race, chosen people. And, and, I, and I am uh, looking forward to what that's going to mean down the road. I know what it means here. I get to be I get to be here with you guys. I get to be part of this whole dynamic with you guys. That's pretty unique. That's pretty special, don't you think? Don't you think? Yeah. I could have to live with all of them out there all the time. I don't really want to do that. I don't. Now look at what he says next. He said, "But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood." What does that mean to you that God calls you a, a part of a royal priesthood? It makes you a priest, okay? What it makes you. Now, who are the priests under the under the nation of Israel? Who are the priests? Levi. The tribe of Levi. The descendants of Aaron, specifically. Yeah, the descendants of Aaron, which were the tribe of Levi. What it was. So they were they were the they were the chosen priesthood. They didn't get a portion of the land, okay? When when they were dividing up the land, they got parts of every portion. They got a place to live in every place. They were priests. They had special jobs to do. Certain parts of them got had to do this, and certain parts of them had to do that. And only from that tribe of people could the high priest come from. That's why Jesus is so unique, because Jesus doesn't come from that, that seed line. He doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. Okay? He comes from the tribe of Judah, which never was supposed to be a priest. That's why Hebrews says he's not like Aaron. He's like Melchizedek. Okay? We got into this, didn't we? We got into this for a long time, studying about Melchizedek. He had no earthly parents, you know, and it wasn't saying that he wasn't born of earthly parents, but he doesn't have a lineage from, from the parents coming to him to be a priest. God appointed him to be a priest, just like he appointed Jesus to be a priest. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you into, into a nation of priests, and that's what he does. You know, I want you to turn to, Hebrew, I mean, to Revelation chapter 1. Look at verse 6. I'm going to read part of verse 5. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest, to serve his God, his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What did he make us to be? A kingdom and priest in that kingdom. He made us to be a kingdom, called us to be a kingdom. You know, we call it the church. Okay, that's, that's the sim simple uh, definition of it. 
but is wherever Christ rules in this, in this, on this earth, wherever he rules in heaven, that is the kingdom of God. He is the king. He rules. He reigns. And we follow the Lord himself as our king. And we are his subjects, and he says, I'm going to make you into a, a, a nation, and a priest, a, a, a church, a kingdom of priests. And then look at chapter 5. Look at what he says in, in chapter chapter 5. It's going to be in verse 10. Okay? It says, You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. What is he telling me? What is he telling us? And why is that important to you? You you look around this room and you see flaws in this room? You see problems in this room? Do you see issues that need to be overcome in this room? <laughs> You may not know. You may not see them. But they are there, aren't they? There's not one of us in this room that's perfect and deserves to be called this at all. Not one of us. We are this because of what he did. We are this because he chose to be to go to the cross for us. And so he's made me into a, into a part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And listen to what he says next. Okay? Now... Well, let me, let me finish this, and then we'll get into that. God's special possession. Now, how many of you have more than one child? Okay. Did you, did you find it where you work really diligently and not pick one and choose one over the other? That you didn't make... They did. I knew when I thought of this last night, I said, Paul is going to have something to say. You did. Know. You, you always do you know what is that? to make sure you don't show any partiality between the children. Yeah. You know what he said? No. What he said before? He said, the reason we didn't try for any more, because oh. you can't, you can't, uh, you can't. Um, same thing Jared said. Yeah. <laughs> can't improve on perfection. That's what Jared said. Maybe if we're done now. <laughs> That's what Georgia said. We're done. If I try again, I'll have another boy. No, I'm done. Raising four is enough. Because we were a house full of boys, weren't we? Anyway, the point is, is you try really hard not to not to make one elevate one over the other. Make them all feel equal. They're all special, right? They're all special to you. No matter what, they're all special to you. And God says right here, he says, I'm going to make you into a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You know, he said, look at what he said. He said, God's special possession. I am part of God's special possession. Have you ever felt special before? What made you feel special in your life? What ever made special in your life? Delissa, right. you know, y'all know Paul and Delissa are going to build a house, and Delissa's got a unique sense of style, and she's going to put uh, things on a wall that she wants from old stuff, and she, she wanted our old wedding picture. Okay. And uh, and some other things and and we found it. We found an album. With it, and I looked at those at those pictures. And I'm going, man, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old. But you know, I, I mean, I realized I realized from that moment when I was watching that picture, what was going to come. And I said, man, this is this is going to be a special special ride. I didn't know at the time. I know it now, looking back. Man, what a special ride. 
I had no idea it was going to include this. I had no class and no idea it was going to include three sons. That it was going to include all the grandsons and all the whole. I never, never dreamed. You know, I just looked at that picture and I said, "Man, so thank you, Joseph, for making us pick that, for making us go back and look at all that." Because it really, it really brought to mind, it really powers home what this is saying. A special possession. I know how God feels. I know how I feel. And if God's better at this than I am, then how does He feel about us? When he looks at us and he smiles on this room this morning, he says, where two or more gather in my name, what did he say? There I will be with them. So if he's here this morning, and I know he is, then you think he's got a smile on his face? Yes. yes. Because these are his people. These are his children. Okay? You walk over that over there where all them kids are, and you walk past. You may not have any of them over there, but it ought to give you a special glow in your heart. When you hear them talking, you hear teachers, and you hear them laughing and joking, and then you see them running up the halls, and man, that's that's your, that's our possession, that's our people, that's our children, not yours, ours. And God looks at us and says, "Those are my, those are my children. That's my kingdom. That's my church. That's my son's bride to be." That's what that is. And then look what he says. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. For what reason? That you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. I want you to turn to a text. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 1. Just for a second. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Okay, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 12. In verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the holy people in, our, in the kingdom of light. It's exactly what he's saying over there. All right, let me read it again. And giving joyful thanks to the Father. So what we're going to do this morning, that's what we're going to do over there. Give joyful thanks. Sing joyful music to him. Sing, make joyful noise to him. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. What does it mean that he qualified you? What does that mean? Cleaned you up. Huh? He cleaned me up. Cleaned you up. Okay. Anybody else? What does it mean? He accepts who you are. Huh? He accepts you. He accepts you where you are. He qualifies you. you know what, anybody else? What does that mean? Gave you the stamp of approval. Gave you the stamp of approval. Okay. Yes, ma'am? This translation says, made you fit. Made you fit. Okay. Okay. For my for my illustration, this one works out. <laughs> you know, we go we we have gone to the drag races a lot. You know, I've got shirts that I love the smell of nitrile methane in the morning. I've got you know, I've got the you know, shirts that from pretty much everywhere we've been. We we've used them a lot. And one of the things they do in on a, on on Friday and Saturday is the whole qualifications. And we'd go to see the big boys. We'd go to see the top, the double A fuel dragsters and the double A funny cars. That's what we went for. You know, I mean, you know, it's nothing like sitting in the grand, grandstands and having your heart flutter inside your chest when twenty thousand horsepower goes by. It is a it, it's a it's an amazing. It's, but they they do something on Thursday and Friday. I mean Friday and Saturday that we quit going to because it was not anything we wanted to go see. And they do qualifications. Okay. And there may be 30 cars showed up for each class. And they're only going to race 16. So they have four qualifying runs. And you have to get 
faster and faster and faster, and they take the, top, the 16 fastest guys to run on Sunday. And on Sunday is when they have the, the eliminations. And they run, they run four rounds to eliminate them all out until they get the last two to run. And so those guys spend millions of dollars to go and to, and to go to the pits and, and run their cars for, for two days, four sessions, two sessions on each day to try to get in the field. Just get in the field. If they can be number 16, the problem is when they get to be number 16, guess who they race against? Number one. And number two races against number 15. But the point is, is, is they, they don't just go and show up and, got, and they, just, they just get to race. That's not the way it works. You have to qualify. Here it says, God qualified me. He made me part of the, part of the elite 16 or the elite 8 or whatever. He made me part of that. I didn't do it. I couldn't do it. He did it. No. So he says he qualified you to share in the inheritance of holy people in the kingdom of light. Okay? Knows where the kingdom is. It's kingdom in the light, not in the dark. And then look what he said. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now turn back over here. Now what has he done? What has he qualified us to be a part of? Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, prized possession. For what reason? For what reason? Read it. For what reason? To declare the praises who call to praise, declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What did it say in Colossians chapter one? He qualifies me to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. He has he has rescued me from the dominion of darkness and translated me into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of light. And my job, your job, our job. Listen to me, guys. This is important because I think we have fallen down as individuals for sure. We have fallen down in our willingness and our ability to share a message with a lost and dying world. I believe that's true. I believe there are people in this room that have the talent to teach and won't. I believe there are people in this room that have the talent to teach and don't. Okay? I believe there are people in this room that have enough knowledge to sit across the table from someone and teach them the truth and teach them the gospel and put them in the water and get them faithful to God and, and won't do it for one reason or another. I don't know what the reason is. I know what, the, what, what we're supposed to do. I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. That's what we're supposed to do. Declare the praises to who? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. That's what he told us to do as a church. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Did he not tell us to do that? Did he not? Yeah. How do you do that? Tell, guys, tell me how do you do that? If you're afraid, tell me how you do that. Tell me what you do. Tell me. I'm not going to start talking until you start talking. Plan a seed. Huh? Plan a seed. Plan a seed? You can't just start off with just a little bit. I think the first thing you guys need to understand is it's not necessarily always about sitting across the table and studying someone. Right. Sometimes it's a it's a it's a great prayer warrior that does that. Sometimes it's someone who uh, who cooks a meal and takes it to a neighbor, something like that. Sometimes it I don't know what happened the other day and I said you know we were I was talking to someone and I and I told George I said we just planned a seed I don't know where it'll go from here. You know. You can't, you don't beat them with the book. That doesn't work. Believe me, I've tried. It doesn't work. But you take them and you, and you, and you let them see what this really looks like. Go ahead, Tim. Uh, I'd say the big thing for me is uh, don't say no. Don't say no. 
if somebody calls you to do something, mm-hmm. you know, like right now we're teaching uh, Wednesday night uh, for the kids, mm-hmm. and uh, don't, just don't say no. Yeah. Like if somebody asks you to do something, do it. Because some people are called to to call people, right? And then other people are called to answer. Yeah. And so yeah. if all of us just don't say no when we're called, that alone's going <laughs> to... Remember, guys... This is a team, okay? And not everybody on the team is a shortstop. Not everybody's a quarterback. Not everybody is a water boy, okay? Not everybody is a trainer. Everybody has their own job to do. But I'm good. You, you, you get on your knees and you say, God, help me find where I fit and help me do it the very best I know how so that the other guys can do what they do the best they know how because our job here, because of who we are and what we've been given, is to declare the praise of him who called us. And you God feel is, hmm? God describes it a different way. Some are hands, some are feet. That's, absolutely some are right. Ears, absolutely right. Whatever. But it's the same thing as what Absolutely. Saying. What I'm at getting once you see is to get your mind thinking that away. Where you think like that on a regular basis, where I think, how can I influence the situation so someone can maybe down the road learn the gospel? I, I get I get an example Friday night. I'm, I'm gonna give it to you guys. When I was Probably 25, I guess. It was probably four or five years before I became a Christian. I was working at a shop. The guy that I worked for had a really bad reputation. Uh, he was a great mechanic, great wrench. I learned a lot of great stuff. I learned how to I learned how to detail cars. I learned how to do I learned how to do body work. I learned how to do a lot of stuff. I also learned how to be a be a crook, okay? Because he was a crook. And one day, somebody walked in the shop with his little boy, and it was Gary Underwood, okay? Gary Underwood walked in the door, and we're I'm, and we're doing so. I don't remember what it was. We're I'm, you know, helping him with something on a car or something. I don't know what it was. Never said a word. Walked out. Five years later, I become a Christian. I walk in and guess who I see? Gary Underwood. You know what I found out about Gary Underwood? He and Marilyn were one of the most prolific Bible teachers of anybody I've ever. They wrote a book. They wrote a book that's still in print today called First Principles. If you don't have it, you need to get it because it's really good. And uh, and you know what I what I figured out after a while? He couldn't have talked to me five years before on a bet. I'd have thrown him out of the shop myself if my boss hadn't thrown him out. And God knew that. God knew it wasn't time for him. But I know that I sat at his feet numerous times listening to him. And I sent people to him that he studied with, him and his wife studied with, after that. Sometimes it's not about how much you know and what you can say and how fast you can talk. Sometimes the best thing to do is keep your mouth shut. And you have to know when that is. You know, if you're going to declare the praise of him, sometimes it's the meal that was taken. Sometimes it's the whatever, it's this thing or that thing. Or sometimes it's, a, it's you know, that, that the church helped with, with finances for somebody or something. It, all kinds of things work together and make... All the jobs easier, but our job has to be our job is to take the message to a lost and dying world, and that's what we want this church to be. I mean, you see it on board, you see it up there. We want to be God's heart and God's hands. Okay, we want to be ones that 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 help everyone to live out the life of Christ. Well, how do you do that? You got to teach them the truth, got to teach them, help them to be obedient. Yeah, Larry, you could see it in my face, couldn't you? You raise my <laughs> yeah. hand, but yeah. Uh, you know, anything you're good at, mm-hmm. you have to be confident in. Mm-hmm. 
And if you're not confident, you're not going to be good at it. Yeah. And you don't get that confidence by doing it once. No. That confidence comes with repetition. Yeah. yeah. Doing it over and yeah. over till you get to the point. Yeah. I got this. Yeah. And then you become a good teacher, or you become good at contacting people that need a meal or whatever it might be. Yes. Yeah. But it takes time and it's confidence is a trick. You yeah. gotta be confident. I like I like what you're saying, I like what Kale says too. Don't say no. Yeah. When you get an opportunity, don't say no. Because it may be that time where you're learning and growing and, and you're and you're developing and where it makes you you know, if I what if I'd said no to Dwayne Wheeler all those years ago. I remember he stopped me right there where Sanders class is, right there. That I, I remember him stopping me. He said, I got something for you to do. I hadn't learned yet. When when Dwayne said I got something for you to do, start running. Because <laughs> it's not going to be good for you. you know? And he said, I got somebody you need to meet. And he introduced me to Booty Pearson. Booty Pearson was the guy that I, when I first got here that hugged me. You know, man, I, yeah, I've come off the streets, man. Guys don't hug guys. And I'm looking at him saying, dude, back off. You need to back off from me. I didn't understand all the dynamic of it. Didn't, but Booty comes and he says, I got a job. I need your help. I said, okay. The next thing I know, we're sitting outside the county jail at Foster Field, and which Sunday afternoon, it's 3 o'clock, and it's like 5 till. He says, what are you going to teach today? I said, excuse me? What are you going to teach today? I said, uh, and he wasn't kidding. We walked in, and I had to teach. You know, and, you know, and it was, and it, I look at it and I say, man, those are the times where I grew. Didn't say no. What if I said no? Go ahead, Cam. Uh, as we said, God qualified. Mm -hmm. So we're all we're all ready to do this. But something that I saw uh, this week is uh, an artist was asked, um, "Well, how can I become as good as you?" And he said, "You don't even have a pencil in your hand." Yeah. Okay. How could you ever become as good as me when you don't even have a pencil in your hand? We can't become as good as 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 what we want to be without a Bible in our hand. That's absolutely true. Thank you if so we much. Don't, that is absolutely we do true. not go into it. We absolutely. do not. Put this as the thing that we desire. It is a sword. It is a sword that we that we you go know. to battle with. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We're going to pick it up here <laughs> next week, guys. Thank you.